0: Good morning. Today's scripture is Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34 in the Common English Bible. Jacob and Esau are born. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, and the sister of Laban, the Armenian, from Padan Aram. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, since she was unable to have children. The Lord was moved by his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. But the boys pushed against each other inside of her, and she said, If this is what it's like, why did it happen to me? So she went to ask the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. When she reached the end of her pregnancy, she discovered that she had twins. The first came out red all over, clothed with hair and she named him Esau. Immediately afterward, his brother came gripping Esau's heel, and she named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Jacob acquires the oldest son's rights. When the young men grew up, Esau became an outdoorsman who knew how to hunt, and Jacob became a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of this red stuff. That's why his name is Eden. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright today. Esau said, Since I'm going to die anyway, what good is my birthright to me? Jacob said, Give me your word today. And he did. He sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, got up and left, showing just how little he thought of his birthright. This is the word of God for the people of God
1: let us pray gracious God we thank you for the opportunity to be here and God we know that your spirit is moving amongst us we felt it through liturgy and prayer and music God I pray right now that we would continue to experience you during this worship service May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Well, well, well. I know I have, uh, for those that don't know, and I know I've told it before, but maybe you're new watching online. I don't want to make assumptions. Uh, But I have four kids, and I can appreciate some sibling rivalry. In fact, right before I came here, there was... Uh, a fight that broke out about who was going to be on the Nintendo Switch uh, right before we, we, we came. And I'm going to tell you right now, there was probably some grabbing of heels and people, you know, I think if someone could have sold their birthright, they would have if that was as big of a deal as it was uh, back then. Exactly. <laughs> so... We are sitting here and, and we are having this conversation and there is impatience. People, I'm like, you know, I'll give you an extra 15 minutes if this person can go first. No, I can't wait. I can't wait. And in the midst of what was happening with my kids, there was heartache and hurt feelings and people screaming and crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all the things that happen when kids don't always get their way. And unfortunately, we are not wealthy enough, and their parents are not stupid enough to have five different switches so everyone could have one at the same time. If there is somebody that has five switches for each one of your kids, I am sorry. I may have just offended you. But we don't have the ability to do that, and I don't want to do that. That's just They're to be on screens all day. But here's the problem, right? Is in the midst of them fighting over our Switch, our video game console, there were hurt feelings and hurt everything. They did not show God's love to one another. And before we are quick to say, well, that's just what kids do, you should have thought about that before you had four kids if you didn't want them fighting over things, I think that in some ways that this is a timeless problem where we fail to be patient. We want it now. And it's out of this sense of a certain amount of things that we can have and we have to take as much as we can. Because if we don't take it or other people get a piece of it, then we are missing out. We see that throughout history in scripture and beyond. We see that when people would conquer other people, when there would be war and violence and death over resources, over a perceived slight, over land, over water, instead of sharing together and figuring out ways to do that. People turn to hurt. People turn to war and violence when they don't have what they think is their way. And that is awful. And what ends up happening is a lack of security. A lot of what I see when we look at our world today, when we say, "Well, yeah, but I need that, and you don't." Uh, for those of you who remember the uh, back to the pandemic, if you think through the toilet paper shortage, <laughs> right? Like, there were people buying boxes and boxes and boxes of toilet paper. I'm pretty sure some of those people are still using toilet paper that they bought at the time. But the companies were coming out and saying, Stop it. There is enough, but your sense of insecurity is rising up demand, and we're not prepared to meet what you're buying. We have enough. But as people, especially when it comes to toilet paper, right? <laughs> we need to make sure that we had enough. And it's our own insecurities, it's our own fears that led us to buying out and causing great shortages. And we've seen this throughout the pandemic with a whole bunch of things. Uh, formula. We had a child that, that required formula. And it was very hard to find formula at the time. And I was... It must have been even harder for those that couldn't drive to five or six different stores to find food for their child, and how scary that is. Friends, a lot of our existence, a lot of our nature is when we don't check it, we become insecure, we become fearful, and we say, give me mine first, which does great harm. I think that's why one of the Ten Commandments uh, is thou shalt not covet, Right? You should not covet. And in some traditions, I don't know if you know this, but there are three different versions of the Ten Commandments depending on the faith tradition you're a part of. One of the traditions actually splits it to you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. Right? Coveting was such a big deal that we needed to make sure that we named it in multiple ways. And some traditions say, this is such a big deal, that should take up 20% of the Ten Commandments. But it's not the way of God. And I just imagine the heartache that comes from the story of Esau and Jacob because they refused to wait, Right? Instead of recognizing that, there, that God's love was enough, that these two people would be loved because God loves all persons, not just Jacob. And we see that later on in the story. What would it have looked like for them to just trust that everything would work out and Jacob didn't need to steal and to manipulate his brother into his birthright? And certainly Esau didn't need to be silly enough to sell his birthright over a meal because he couldn't wait just a little bit longer to eat. And Jacob could not wait just a little bit longer to allow God to unfold what God's plans were without him relying on manipulation and deceit and lying. How might our history be different Because the two people, the Edomites and the Israelites, do get into armed conflict a lot in the Hebrew scriptures. And people look back to these moments between Esau and Jacob of growing dynamics, of competition, of not having enough, of in conflict with one another. Where one thinks the other wants to hurt them. Of trickery. What would it have looked like if they had just trusted in God and not tried to take things into their own hands? I think another really interesting part of this story is that it is just out there, right? That these parents love different kids, right? Now, we all know if if your child comes up And my daughter does it consistently. My daughter's here with me today. And she will say, Daddy, am I your favorite? I don't say yes. That is not the best move, right? Because the truth of the matter is my love is big enough for all my kids. There are some days when I might be a little more annoyed with more more of them, more so than the others, but my love for them does not change. To live in a household where you are told that this person is loved more by their father and this person is loved more than by their mother, I can't imagine what that does to Esau and Jacob and how that plays out in the rest of their story. What kind of harm does that do living in a household where you looked at by your sibling by a parent and said, you're not good enough. You're not. I wish you were more like your brother. And friends, before we sit back and we go, of course we would never do that to our family members. There are times in our church and in our communities and in our faith where we do that unintentionally, where we will look at someone and say, you know what? At least I don't have it as bad as that person. Or, that's not my preference. I don't really like that song, so I'm not coming this week. Or, I don't really care for that preacher. Now, luckily you all came up. They, they announced it ahead of time. So, <laughs> you, I, I appreciate you all coming, even though I'm not that great. But I do think that we sit back and sometimes we say, you know what? I have my preferences. And if my preferences aren't met, we're going to go ahead and not do I'm not going to really engage. I'm not going to really be in relationship. I'm going to sit here and be upset and be angry and be hurt. Instead of living out the fullness of what God wants for us. But friends, that's why so many of our things, our means of grace, the ways in which we experience God are meant to be done in community. They are, there are things that we do by ourselves, Oftentimes, studying scripture, being in solitude, praying. Those are individual things that we do by ourselves. But there's a number of things that we have to do with one another. Things like celebration. We are called to be a joyful people because we're people of a resurrection. And so when we celebrate with one another, it's not just the things that make me who I am, but it's looking around and going, oh my gosh, I am so excited every time I come here and get to hear the choir because I don't sing. And I miss listening to an excellent choir because on our campus ministry, we don't get that. We don't sing the more traditional hymns. It is beautiful to come here and to celebrate with you all. It is wonderful to come together And to be able to use a space that's not your own, but someone has generously, a church has generously said, please come in here while your church is being renovated and worked on. It is wonderful to be able to celebrate when people share, hey, this is happening in my life, that we should not be jealous and covet that, but instead we should be excited and celebrate that. Worship is also supposed to be communal, that we are together, that we are worshiping God and being a part of it. And so whether you are joining us online or here in person, what we do is communal, and we do so for the good of the community. Friends, we don't serve a God who cares more about me than about someone else. They are not Rebecca and Isaac. Because the truth of Himara is we know from the life and teachings and, and example of Jesus Christ that God's grace is enough. That God came to save the world, not to condemn it, as John three tells us. And so, friends, one of the beautiful things about being United Methodists is our connectional system the fact that you all are worshiping here today and being able to share what's going on, to share your lives. We know that throughout Virginia and our world that there are other things happening that we celebrate together. That's why I can come here and be able to to help lead worship because I do very, very little. I get up here and talk. But... There are other leaders in your church like Barbara putting everything together or or readers or greeters and others who are just taking care of everything else, right? We don't have to worry as United Methodists about where our pastors are coming from or if our pastor is on sabbatical. There are people that care about you that you have never met before but have said, you know what? I'm gonna wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm gonna show up because I care about you. Just like our campus ministry at George Mason University, right? You may not meet our students, but you help support them with your prayers, with allowing me to come, because we can go ahead and donate that money that I would have gotten as honorarium to our campus ministry, and you are going to make a difference in their lives. We will be able to feed hungry students. We will be able to tell students who are, feel like that the church isn't enough for them, that they're not enough for God, that the truth of the matter is, is that they are. And they are loved by God. No matter what anyone else has told them. And so friends, as we go through this week and we meet people out in the streets. Or maybe we ourselves feel like we are not enough. Or we start to compare ourselves to someone else. I want you to remember to stop acting like an Isaac and Rebecca. And to recognize that the God we serve has enough love, enough grace, enough everything for you, for me, for all of us. Amen?